Welcome back to another episode of East Got Game, an unofficial podcast about the NBL One East competition for 2023. My name's Jacinta from the Central Coast Crusaders, and with me I've got two co-hosts because we don't have a player to interview this week because we're in finals time. It's the best time of the year, so we thought we'd sink our teeth right into it. So with me as always is Lockie France, and joining us for this very special episode is Matt McQuaid. Gentlemen, how are we this evening? Oh, spectacular. Thanks, Squin. It's been a massive week of uh, semi-final action. Can't wait for grand final. I feel absolutely honoured to be here. My first time on uh, the podcast that everyone in the NBL One East is talking about. And I'm not even exaggerating because uh, I hear about it all the time, you can imagine, from quite a few people. So, no, it's great to be here. And uh, Lockie's right. But what, what incredible semifinals we had, both men and women, setting up for, you know, two grand finals that uh, I think are going to be absolutely superb. You know, I think, I actually think when you look at it, I think the four teams that uh, should be there are there when it, when it comes right down. Very interesting. So we'll certainly get into the nitty gritty of the grand finals preview very shortly. But Lockie, just want to check in. Are you able to manage the hype of the NBL One East finals with the Matildas and the FIFA World Cup at the moment? That's a lot going on for you. I'm, I'm pushing through. I've been to eight World Cup games so far. Uh, I've been to Perth and Brisbane. Uh, so wow. it's been a big, big, big couple of weeks, but Matilda's tomorrow night and then I get a few days off before, uh, before the next one. So just got to make it through tomorrow night and ramp up for NBL one grand finals and, uh, world cup quarterfinals. Yeah, wow. That's a couple of big weeks for you. And Matt, you're unfortunately your beloved inner West bulls fell short <laughs> in the elimination finals. I think we're still kind of feeling the hurt from that. How are you feeling one week later? The pain is real. <laughs> we had a, a, a farewell dinner for Blake Morrow um, during the week. And uh, so everybody, most everybody from the team got together with that. So that was great to sort of see the guys again and say goodbye to Blake. And um, yeah, I, I've obviously had lots of chats with uh, Daniel Kim, who I'm very close with, as you guys probably know. Yeah, it, it is interesting. It, it, it's funny because before the game, um, I was really concerned. You know, I, I had a really bad feeling about it because I, I, that's how much respect I've got for Maitland. I think they're, they're one of those teams. I saw it last year. You know, everybody wrote them off. They went all the way to the grand final. They should have won the grand final, as I pointed out to Luke Boyle, and he agreed with me <laughs> when I interviewed him in the post game. But um, yeah, look, it, it, it really stung because when you go eighteen and four, you've uh, they had a fabulous season. There's no two ways about that. Um, provided unbelievable entertainment. You know, you guys saw it. You know, interviewed all the, all the guys. I mean, obviously, you know, CB, Blake, just were phenomenal. So was Alex Higgins' teacher. Um, so were they all. You know, they all had a moment during the season. So to bow out like that, it was over so quickly. Uh, that's what's hard to take, especially when you kind of look at COE. When when the Bulls played COE, it was round two. Alex Tui, Ben Henshaw, Rocco Zakarski, Ev, Jensen Bradkey, everybody was there. Jacob, uh, Johnny Furphy. The whole lot of them, and then they were gone. So it, it was a wide, a sort of a wider open playoffs, if you like, from a men's side of thing. But Maitland was just too good on the night. Yeah, you, know, you just got to tip your hat. I thought Luke Boyle, you know, the coach of the Mustangs, did an absolutely phenomenal job scouting them, scouting the Bulls. Just really took away everything that the Bulls do well, um, and defensively, particularly in that second half, just too good. And then. You know, when, when Matt Gray is dominating his matchup with Alexander Higgins' teacher, I mean, that's 
Yeah, that's huge. And then um, Cranston Land has three personal fouls in the first half, doesn't score in the first half and just goes crazy in the second. So tip your hat to them. But, um, yeah, it was a bitter pill to swallow because I think, you know, like everything else, you know, when it ends, you, you kind of realise, you look around and not everybody's going to be there next year. So, and obviously, you know, you guys, in, you interviewed Daniel um, on Instagram Live. Everyone knows he's off to Japan for that assistant job in the B-League, which I'm very proud of him for. But it's tough. You know, it, it's tough because it was such a special group for me personally anyway. And uh, like you said, it is the first time that you are on East Got Game and we are very happy to have you because you are a legend amongst our field. Statistically, a lot of our listeners, I think, are of a younger generation that perhaps may not know who Matt McQuaid is other than the commentator for the Inner West Bills. So give us a quick spiel about who you are and some of your background because your career is quite extensive. Let's just stick to the commentary bit. So I've been calling game basketball games for now going on 16 years and I started back in uh, 2007. So NBL1, uh, sorry, NBL primarily with the Kings, uh, NBL1, uh, WNBL, which kind of was an abortive um, little stint I had this year, which was great. I've been a writer, broadcast. I've been a writer for since 1999, um, worked for the Sydney Kings, was their media and communications manager for a while. I've uh, been involved with the Kings. I call games on Clutch Radio, both Illawarra Hawks and Sydney Kings games. Uh, I've called games on Fox Sports. I've called games on NBL TV. So, yeah, pretty extensive commentary experience. Uh, and I've been doing – I've actually been doing the Bulls. This is my third year because we actually did, before COVID, 2019, when the Bull – when it was still the Waratah League, um, the Bulls were doing live streaming back then. So Mookie and I were doing – sort of the, the early games of those. And, uh, yeah, it's been fantastic sort of to do the last two years and obviously particularly this year was, was a hell of a lot of fun. Yes, so thank you for that spiel. And, again, thank you for being on the podcast, especially someone of your experience and of your calibre. Uh, as we, in this episode, are going to be focusing on reviewing the semifinal matches and previewing the grand final matches, as well as getting into some news and gossip, if we have any, but also we're going to touch on the NBL One East Awards that have been announced in the last week as a drip feed. So what we're going to do, we're going to first jump right into the women's semifinals, the first being against the North Bears versus the Sydney Comets, who placed at third and seventh, respectively, down at the Bear Cave. Lockie, did you manage to get to this game this week? Did not get to the game, Squin, but I did tune in and watch the live stream on the NBL One website there at the Bear Cave and it was Norse getting up 87-67. So just a game in which they are edged out their lead and there was times where Comets got it back a little bit, you know, got out to 16, got back to 10, got out to 15, got back to 10 again. But in the end, Norse just uh, kept them at bay throughout. Big game for Jolene Anderson. Again, 26 points, nine rebounds, hit five of nine from three-point range. So as a, uh, a Sutherland fan... Gave me PTSD after what she did to us down at uh, the Shark Tank a few few weeks ago. But the big one for Norse was Carla Pittman coming off the bench. And I think it's going to be a theme of uh, young players on the women's side this week. She finished with 23 points, seven rebounds, an assist and a steal. Shot 9 of 14 from the field. Just really good getting to the rack, as we all know she can do. Interestingly, Pittman alone off the bench, 23 points. Comet's total bench points, 8 Drew Tolliafoa played 22 minutes. Sarah Wager played 11. But still, yeah, just not getting that bench production, the Comets, which I think has really been an issue for them. 
most of the season. I mean, they have two or three real outright scorers in, especially Heal, but then Panousis and Crawshaw. But against a team like Norse, where they're good enough defensively to lock at least one of them down at any time, you really need other players to step up, and they just didn't have uh, that scoring punch they needed. Panousis finished with seven. Crawshaw had 17. Heal had 23. Interestingly, the lineups. So both teams switched their starting lineups. So Jess Bygate actually started for Norse this week instead of Sarah Schicker. And Piper Anderson started in place of Drew Tolliafala. Comet's really looking to go for that, you know, that energy, that athleticism that Anderson has getting up and down court, which I thought was interesting because I don't think we've seen very much of that all season when um, Comets have had everyone available. And we haven't seen much of Bygate start in place of Shika either. Both teams were trying something and uh, they kind of uh, you know, cancelled each other out because they both threw something different at each other. But I think for Comets, their main issue was they played like they were down 20 when they were only down 10 or 12. They tried to get it all back in one hit. There was a period there where Shiloh Hill, three three possessions in a row, just jacked up a three with about 20 seconds left in the shot clock and all bounced away. It might have been getting stops at one end. You know, you've got two and a half quarters of basketball, you know, two full quarters of basketball left to play. You don't have to get a 15-point deficit back in three minutes. That's what the North defense does. It rattles people. You start to think if you don't get it back all in one hit, you're not going to get it back. Because they'll just shut you down again. I think, yeah, if they just slowed it down a bit and realized they can chip away, probably would have helped them. Um, They ended up shooting only 32% from the field, whereas Norths were 44%. Comets actually had more field goal attempts than Norths because Norths committed 21 turnovers. Two Comets, 15, but I think 21 turnovers for Norths, that is something that will... uh, be at the forefront of Renee Garlow's mind going into the grand final, especially against a manly team that has plenty of very good defensive players on it. Yeah, definitely. Like 21 turnovers from North is really uncharacteristic from them, I think, considering the experience they have. But based on the review you just gave, it really reflects to me the experience of the North team and the depth of their bench, I think. Particularly, as you said, Carla Pittman coming off the bench with 23 points and she only played... 23 minutes so that's not even 23 points over a full 35 40 minute game also interesting point that you make is about uh the comets going for athleticism and speed they did manage to get uh 15 points on the fast break in previous games i find has been one of their strengths considering north were throwing 21 turnovers i think that's probably something that could have been a bit more exploited on the other hand, Norse being one of the better defensive rating teams, they're going to get back in transition, I think. Yeah, they certainly are. And interestingly, like we talk about the fast break points and Piper Anderson, but she only ended up playing 13 minutes. Not sure what happened, but she made a really bad defensive misread midway through the second quarter. And she was subbed then and wasn't seen again until the fourth quarter. So I'm not sure if that was a result of like... You know, she took a knock or something earlier and she was just physically like, you know, not able to move laterally or if Shelly Gorman was just incensed with what she saw on that particular play or what happened. But yeah. When you've got Drew, Toliafoa, Sarah Weicher uh, with three fouls in their limited minutes and then Crawshaw ends up fouling out. And interesting with Toliafoa, so she subbed in for Crawshaw after about seven minutes and picked up two fouls in the space of 55 seconds. So Crawshaw actually had to sub back in 
for the last couple of minutes of the first quarter because Tolyafel picked up those fouls so quickly. Really throws off the dynamic of the game and your flow that you're trying to get into when when those stop starts kind of happen. Uh, Matt, did you manage to catch much of this game? What are your thoughts and feelings? Yeah, look, I think Lockie really summed it up well. You know, you look at what Heal and Panusa's shot combined and I think 10 of 34 and it kind of tells you all you need to know and yeah, you know, I mean, look, Shyla's prone to that. She's she's prone to, to jacking up threes. And look, at the end of the day, she kind of felt the need to kind of carry this team a little bit uh, because they just didn't have the depth uh, that North did. And North's depth has been such a hallmark of their game, you know, throughout the season, really. Um, where you know, I've talked to Renee a lot about this, and and you know, she's she loves the fact that she, anybody can score on any given night. It, it can be anybody. That's hard to guard. It's hard to scout. Um, hard to defend, obviously. So, yeah, I, I, I thought I was, wasn't surprised by the outcome. I, I think the, be- the better team clearly won. Shyler and Vanessa would have had to just go off for monster numbers. And and the fact that Vanessa struggled so much, 3 of 13 from the field, it just wasn't going to get it done. You talk about them going off for monster numbers. That's exactly what they needed last week just to get past Newcastle with Shyler. Yeah. Scoring 43. Correct. And those monster numbers are, you know, sometimes that's the magic of final time when the players you expect to step up are going to step up and have those monster numbers. But that's not always going to be able to be replicated week after week because by finals time, everyone knows the scouts so well. Those players you expect to be the MVPs of a final series are the ones that are going to be struggling the most to get the shots that they want. And it's always going to be the players that are unaccounted for or perhaps taken for granted that are then going to be the ones who actually be the heroes of the game. For example, Jolene Anderson, we know what she's capable of. I wonder if she was someone that they perhaps didn't scout or pay enough attention to in the scout. Definitely uh, they shut down, well, you know, slowed Emily Simons to the point where she only scored 12 points. It's definitely a factor. I mean, you can slow down one, but that just leaves leaves others open, especially if you pay too much attention to someone in particular. Um, but moving on to the Manly versus COE game. Now, this game I feel like was completely different from the Norse and Comets game. Watching the Norse Comets game this afternoon on the replay, it just felt like a lot more free-flowing. There was a lot more up-tempo from both teams up and back up the court. Whereas this Manly COE game was just a grind, absolute grind. It was all bogged down in the half court. It was very defensive focus, which I like. I like a good defensive team, but neither team had shots that came very easy. So Matt, I'm going to go to you first. Did you catch any of this game? A little bit and you're on the money and, and it was to be expected though, I think. COE obviously a little bit undermanned, um, no Jessica Petrie as we know. They just had to try and invent a way to, to kind of stay with a team that like Norths comes at you from a, a number of ways, a number of angles and is so deep, even though they might be one of the most underappreciated teams. Manly executes so well, don't they? You know, I mean, I think that that's really their hallmark is how well they execute in the half court. They like to run. They, you know, Nathan wants them to get out and run, and he's talked about that with me. But when when you've got the kind of half court execution they have, um, it doesn't worry them in particular to get into a grind. It just doesn't bother them because they know that they have the system and the structure ultimately that's going to break you down at some level. Might take a little while, as it did in this game, but ultimately with them, just a little too much 
connectivity at the offensive end. Uh, a little too much um, execution, really, for COE to deal with. And I, I thought they did a terrific job to stay in it. I actually thought Manly had um, a deal with them a bit more comfortably than they did. So that's credit to, to them and, and how they've gone about it all this season. Yeah, look, it was a finals game. It was played with that kind of intensity and, and that kind of, um, I won't say energy, but but because both teams were so determined defensively, that's what can happen. It can kind of bog down. And that's, again, as I, I go back to that word execution, and, and that's just, that is manly all over. And that's down to Nathan Kerwin, who's, you know, look, I'm biased. I'm biased about Renee Gallup as well, obviously, but, you know, they're both fantastic coaches. They really are, the pair of them. Because we've actually spoken on this podcast before, Matt, about how this Manly team is essentially a very similar roster to last year. Mm. But uh, last year they made the, I'm pretty sure they made the semifinals, but couldn't go all the way. And the main difference from last year to this year is Nathan Kerwin. Yep. He's taken what was already existing and made it even better. Um, so certainly warranting a Coach of the Year nomination. From our standpoint. And COE, you mentioned no Jess Petrie. She is already head over to America to start her college career with the University of Nebraska. If you head to her Instagram, some of her stories look like they're having a great time team bonding at some beautiful coastal location, jumping off boats. So uh, I'm sure she'd rather be there than getting bogged down in NBL NBL 1 East semifinals. Uh, But Lockie, what did you make of this particular game? Oh, it's it's funny. Like it's it's so true what you mentioned about it being you know grinded out in the half court kind of game because there were two fast break points for the entire game and forty five fouls. So COE committed twenty seven fouls. Manly committed eighteen of their own. When you're a little bit you know short handed, COE are play, players get into foul trouble and they either have to you know play different defense or sit. I really like. Um, what I really liked from Manly um, in amongst everything else was there were a few times where they really found some good mismatches for Zoe Miller to take players on off the dribble. Um, it was one where I think it was Bree Delaney just fired this skip pass and what's she throwing that for? And all of a sudden Zoe Miller's like straight up to the up to the basket. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Unfortunately for Miller, I think she finished two of eight from the field, one of six from two-point range, but she was... Good at, at getting to the basket, sorry. But of course, you can't talk about this game without talking about uh, the one I have memed, Felicity Henderson, with her <laughs> 21 points, nine rebounds, uh, 10 assists. So just shy of a triple-double. Again. Yeah, again. I mentioned it on Twitter, you know, doing it against this very same players that beat her out to a uh, a gem spot for the World Cup. You know, she would have uh, probably had a target on this game. You know, she got that chance earlier in the season when Zoe Miller got injured and she had to take over, you know, primary ball handling duties. And from there, it has just been exponential growth for her. It's interesting that Manly can go from having Alex Delaney in the lineup to someone so different in Zoe Miller. In terms of their execution, they're just as good. Uh, Interestingly, Manly, I mean, not not surprising at this stage of the season, only ran with seven players. So um, Delaney and Bullman, the only two to come off the bench. For COE at times, is starting to look like the effect of playing a front-heavy schedule, then a World Cup slash camps to make the World Cup, coming back straight into more NBL 1. It does look like it's catching up to them a little bit. I know they're young, but you know they've played 
24 games. Some of them played probably 30 games. I think some of them were involved as train-on players for the Opals at one point. So there's players out there that have got a lot of miles in their legs. Isla Jufferman's knee looks like it has load-bearing tape on it. There's that much of it there. <laughs> I, I think they did very well, as you said, Matt, to, to hang with Manly for as long as they did. And indeed, they were leading after three quarters by a point. Mm. Actually, in the first half, COE had two, I think, two seven-point leads. You get out to a lead, you can't give them a sniff to get back in because they'll just take the game by the scruff of the neck, which they did on this occasion. Eventually, in the final stages, too much experience, despite their youth, too good at executing, were able to hold them off in the end. Manly, only 10 turnovers to, you know, COE's 18. Incredibly, COE won the points from turnovers 10 to 5. That's something Manly will want to work on. If they, I mean, don't get as many points from turnovers if you're not out on the break, which they weren't as much. You know, if you're going to force a team into 18 turnovers, you probably want to take advantage a little more often, particularly if the opposition are taking advantage of your turnovers. Also, the three-point percentage. 53% from beyond the line, COE only 32% or 31.5%. Manly 15, 8 of 15, COE 6 of 19. They've got some... Good shooters, and they've got serviceable shooters as well to back them up. You know, you've got Bree Delaney out there who we all know can hit the three, but there's plenty of other players who can hit one when they need to as well. But that's what I thought was interesting, that COE still limited Manly to only 15 three-pointers. Mm. Uh, really reflective of how good their defense was. Um, and the three-pointers that Manly made were all still relatively contested. They still were really, really tough shots, that more reflective of, of their skill. So I thought that was really interesting that, A, Manly only took 15, but really impressed that they were able to make eight of that 15 given the defence. And like you said, Isla Jufferman's with that heavily strapped knee, the very heavy load of their schedule at the start of the season. Someone, I can't remember if we were talking about it, the elimination final, Lockie, but someone had said that, you know, Isla Jufferman's is looking really slow. And I'm like, well... The girl's been playing at a high level for the last, for two years nonstop. Yeah, she hasn't had a break because she's been, yeah, sapphires into gems. She's had 20s. She's had 18s nationals. She is, yeah. So give her a break, like literally <laughs> and metaphorically. Let's just give the girl a break. Remember, she is only, what, 17, 18? Yeah. yeah, she's a kid. Yeah. Yeah. She had strapping. I think uh, Jada Clark had a knee strap. Opal Bird had a knee strap. Lara Sumfire, not even there. I'm not too sure if she's injured or if there's any intel around that. So listen, just give these girls a break. Oh, 100%. And not a new player, but um, as always, Saffron Shields, so impressive for COE, finishing with 22 points. Just um, that height she has at her position is just, you know, such, such an, you know, an extra attribute that she can use. Yeah. In the main, I think it's it, to have the COE as part of this, I, I think – we get the opportunity to watch future, potential future Opals. I think there's a few future Opals on that squad. Isla Jufferman's, I think she's a superstar. Uh, I I absolutely love her game. Um, I you know, love the size. Saffron Shield's another one. Um, you know, Jess Petrie, again, while she was there. So it, it is just so great, you know, from our perspective, to be able to see these kids, men and women at the COE, on the start of their journeys, you know, which could wind up, who knows, even in the WNBA or the NBA, there's some of them. So, yeah, incredibly exciting and, and so great for this competition. We need to get around them. I think, you know, you mean, you're on the money, Jacinta. You don't want to criticise these kids, you know, at all, quite frankly. Um, 
you know, I think it's dreadfully unfair for, for anyone to do that. So now that uh, Norse Bears and Manly Warringah Seagulls were the victors of the semi-final round, they are going head-to-head in the grand final. And I tell you what, guys, this was the grand final that I wanted. Start of the East Scott game season, I did pick Norse to win the whole thing, but I'm going to retract that. I'm retracting it only because the people who I've wished luck or uh, have tipped <laughs> or anything like that in the last few weeks have gone on to lose and that is the reflection of my bad omen that I am. So I'm not picking anyone wow. anymore. Re- yeah, look, I hear you. Mm. I, I just one word for you, Illawarra. Well, two words, Illawarra <laughs> men. So there you go. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> exactly. They made me look like a fool with that roster. going to win it and they came 10th. I know, crazy. But what a grand final it's going to be. I mean, I don't know if you want to get into it now, but my No, absolutely. That was the perfect segue. I was going to get into it because we've talked about both of these teams having very high defensive ratings, both very team-orientated, both both teams that can have a superstar step up on any given day regardless of who's been performing the week before, and both teams have exceptional depth on the bench. So, Matt, I'm going to go to you first. What are you predicting out of this game? <laughs> you know, it's really difficult for me because, and I, I mentioned this before, I'm very good friends with both Renee Gallup and Nathan Kerwin, so I'm going to get in trouble with someone for what I say today. Incredible matchup because, you know, from an individual standpoint, you look at the talent um, across the board in both teams. If I had to pick from a talent perspective, I'd give, it, I'd give the edge to North. So I think they've got a little more depth overall than what Manly does uh, and they've got and I think you know you mentioned both teams are great defend, defensive units they are but what I look at in that perspective from that perspective I then have to flip it and say okay who on either team and how many of them have the ability to really explode you know you, you talked about it earlier about that one player that has a moment right in a grand final situation that maybe we don't think about the thing about North, I look at them and this is, again, I'm not, look, <laughs> I feel terrible because everybody's been downing Manly. Uh, they kind of look, you, you know, but the Hendersons have been phenomenal. Um, you know, obviously the Delaney's have been great. Um, you know, look, but from North's perspective, I just look at that roster and I go, man, you know, you've got an Emily Simons who's capable of, of going for 47 for starters, which we, which we saw. You've got, I mean, Jessica Bygate, I've seen go off for big numbers as well. Um, and, I mean, pretty much a lot of them. And that's what, you know, I mentioned before, and I had that, that discussion with Renee. You know, one of the things she said to me was that we've got such an even spread. No one cares who gets the ball. No one cares who scores. They all just want to win. She said, that's what I'm, I've been really happy. It's one of the, she said, it's one of my most fun teams to coach ever. Because of that fact that that it, it just seems to be ego free, they just they really enjoy playing ball with one another. Um, but there there's so much talent. I mean, you mentioned before, Lockie. I mean, Sarah Shekhar coming off the bench. I mean, she's been starting most of the year. She was off the. I know she came off the bench when they uh, they played the Bulls both times. Um, and then, but then you plug Bygate in, and it's kind of like, oh, well, it's another. Six two, six three, forward. He can shoot the ball and score. Um, they're loaded. Uh, not that Manly aren't, but I just think they've got more of it, and they've got more potential to really explode. Uh, you know, and I think that for me gives the Bears the edge in this matchup. 
And Lockie, your thoughts on this matchup? Well, I hope it's as exciting as the last time these two teams matched up in a women's grand final because uh, that was up in Maitland and came down to the uh, the last shot of the game when uh, Manly got that win. Sorry to all my Norse people out there for bringing that one up again. But uh, <laughs> yeah, when uh, Snelly and her crew brought it home for the Sea Eagles. But Matt's 100% right. Um, sometimes it's just, yeah, who can go off on the day? Because you only got to you only got to win one. It's not a three-game series. I miss Kim Hodge as well. I mean, God, yeah. you see it for Manly. You know, I mean, it's as I said, it's not like they're bereft of talent. No. They've got a ton of talent. And Zoe Miller's another one. And uh, but you know, I, I'm not mad. Like, I, they, yes, the depth is there, um, but it, it is telling that that Nathan ran those seven players in the semis, right? So I look at that and I think I don't think he can get away with that against a North team that just keeps coming after you. And Renee can just keep rotating girls in and out that she knows are going to produce for us. So from that perspective, that that's where I think, you know, Nathan's got his work cut out. And look, the man is a great coach, a phenomenal coach. So if anyone can figure it out, he can. But if I have to pick, you know, I, I'd still say Norths. Yeah. I, I definitely think you're right. When you when you look and you get past, you know, the five, the six, the seven, when you get down to the eight, nine, ten, yeah. eleven, it's that's when Norse advantage starts to grow. Where if teams, if they have to start using players, you know, someone gets in foul trouble a little bit early, yeah. uh, which is, I, I feel like it's highly likely to happen with the kind of defense these two teams can play mm, and the point. and the offense, they can both throw at each other. I mean, Manly just, you know, roped COE into committing 27 fouls, <laughs> you know, so committed 18 of their own. Norse um, shot 22 free throws against Comet. So they can both certainly... Uh, draw fouls out of players. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how Annie Henderson goes in this game. For her defensive game, she is probably the one most overlooked. I know she was a Defensive Player of the Year nominee, but I feel like all the talk is always Nicholson and Seabomb when it comes to defenders in NBL1 women. And I think Annie Henderson is um, primed to come out and just lock someone down and show that she is... And it should be in the conversation outside of, you know, manly people bigging her up. Of the current nominees, she's probably the only one that can successfully guard one to five. A hundred percent agree. Other players will defend certain positions better than her, but she will defend anywhere, which not every other player in that in that set of five can do. The way I see this game going, I think it's going to come down to the, always for me in finals time, it always comes down to the one percenters, making your free throws, hustling loose balls, boxing out every time. That's just stock standard. But if we're looking at rosters, I think for North, it's going to come down to uh, making sure the likes of Carla Pittman and Maddie O'Hare are really disciplined on the offensive end. They can't afford to give up too many turnovers as they have in the season. And that's not a read. That's just something to tighten up. And I think the anchors for Norse in the likes of Simons and Shika, uh, I imagine are going to be, and Seabom are going to be really super important. They're probably the three most consistent players, especially in their role for this Norse roster. But understanding that the likes of Simons is going to have a pretty heavy scout on her. So her shot selection and her opportunities are probably going to be limited, uh, which means that it's opportune for someone else to step up. But on the Manly's uh, Warringah roster, like you said, Matt, Kim Hodge, and like you said, Lockie, 
uh, Annie Henderson. They're the two anchors for me in this team who have been really consistent all season. Hodge just goes end to end to end to end with the same expression on her face, like nothing really (laughs) bothered her. I think I've only seen her bothered by something in a very few games. Perhaps it was one of those games where there are a lot of fouls called. I think it was in early in the season. So the likes of uh, Hodge and Henderson and Annie Henderson particularly is going to be important. But also Felice Henderson, she has flirted with the triple-double all season. All season. I mean, even against this very tough semi-final against COE, she almost had a triple-double. So I'm sure a target is going to be on her back as uh, the main facilitator in so many ways for this Manly team. So perhaps the matchup between... Pittman and Henderson and Felice Henderson might be interesting, or will Kate Seabom be responsible for shutting down Felice Henderson? I think we also uh, need to mention the troublesome calf that everybody is talking about. And no, it's not Sam Kerr. <laughs> it's Alice Delaney because she's still wearing that sleeve on her calf oh. and coming off the bench. So, you know, another week, is she going to be you know fully fit, uh, ready to play starters minutes? Will they still bring her off the bench just because it's worked for now? Run, run with what they've done for the last two weeks, even if, uh, even if she is fit. That's right. You sometimes you've just got to go with what is working, and the perfect segue to get into the first of the men's semi-final: Canberra Gunners versus Maitland Mustangs. Because in the back end of this game, the Maitland Mustangs, credit to Coach Boyle, he just went with what was working, and that's what got them the win in the end. Canberra Gunners third place playing the seventh place Maitland Mustangs. Gunners going down 75 to 88 in what was an NBL 1 East 2022 grand final rematch with the Stangers getting up and getting their revenge. So, Matt, did you happen to catch this one and what were your thoughts? Oh, Oh, of course I did. All all 40 minutes now. I watched this. I watched both semis from start to finish. Uh, And uh, it it was interesting because obviously I I called the. the elimination final that uh, when Maitland came in to ride and uh, beat up on, on my inner West Bulls. And, and they did it. What they did to Canberra was very similar. Uh, the method was similar, particularly in the fourth quarter. They they took Canberra apart uh, after a game that was very much back and forth for three quarters. Um, it was kind of similar in the inner West uh, elimination final because it was tied at 42. You know, it, was, it was close at the half. Uh, and then it was tied after three periods in this one. So 21 to eight in the final period. And there are a few things. Uh, to the, Maitland's confidence, just, I think they took a lot out of that win over the Bulls because, you know, that was a, a matchup against a team that was 18 and four that had beaten them in their own building in the regular season. Uh, thanks to Blake Morrow going absolutely crazy for the most part, but still you know, getting that job done. But then to come back and and do that, particularly after they'd lost their last two on the road in the regular season, was just so impressive. So they took a lot from that game. I felt into this game. You just, I just love the body language from the beginning. I, I just think uh, they came out with an absolute purpose. That was to shut down uh, Glenn Morrison, which they were very successful in the second half. In particular, uh, he really struggled. Sort of had his way at times with James Hunter, even though James Hunter shot the hell out of the ball, um, which you know is going to be a huge key in the grand final. Yeah, Morrison wasn't his dominant self really, and particularly in that final quarter where you know Billy Parsons, um, who's been outstanding off the bench for them this season, and obviously he's been a youth league standout for for many a year for them, uh, just shut him down. 
and uh, really bothered him, uh, made him take really difficult shots. And then it was it was sort of interesting because I, I looked the other thing that that got me. Canberra only had twelve turnovers, which I actually watching that game felt like it was more like twenty. And the reason being, they were all turnovers. They were either sort of there were a couple of the unforced sloppy variety, but a lot of it was down just to Maitland's D. And what's interesting is that Maitland coming into the finals were one of really they're a mediocre defensive unit. And I talked to Luke Boyle about this after the Bulls game, and he said, we had to change up some things, and we've done that. And that zone of theirs is causing havoc. Uh, they press into a zone. They run a, they run some different zone looks that really, and they mix it up. They junk it up a little bit. It really bothered the Bulls, and it bothered the hell out of Canberra. They didn't know when their, where their shots were coming from in the fourth. I mean, that, to be held in your own building, that crowd was going nuts. To be held to just eight points uh, in... Uh, a semi-final in your own building when you're expected to win. I mean, that's just phenomenal from Maitland. And I, I look, you know, it, on a night where the guys that, that got them the win over the Bulls really struggled for the most part offensively. I mean, Matthew Gray was was devastating against Inner West. And he only had seven points and six boards. Uh, yeah, didn't really shoot the ball that well. Um, William Cranston Lown, uh, by his standards, quiet-ish. Uh, even though he controls the game so beautifully. And it's, you know, going back to your earlier point, um, Jacinta, about, you know, those other guys stepping up. Well, I mean, Luca Vaya, you know, he's a guy that no one really has taken much notice of. Nine points, 11 boards. Billy Parsons, 15 and 12, was massive. And I, and I got I to gotta point this out, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but there was a little bit of, I, I'm not going to use the word disrespect, but I think there was a little bit of dismissiveness going on about Maitland's bench, which I could not understand. Because if you see, if you look at this bench and you look at what these guys have done all year long, uh, it's a bit silly to sort of be as dismissive as the Canberra commentators were on the night. And, you know, guys like Billy Parsons, Jack Edwards, Daniel Milburn, I say he's a veteran. I mean, God, I've, I've been watching him for years. He's only 25. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, I mean, Josh Clifford's a guy that, that's played NBL way, way back in the day. And Will Mortimer's sort of a, a, a coming attraction as a big. So, and uh, yeah, look, Parsons is outstanding. So, I think their depth has been hugely underestimated. And again, it's par for the course with the Mustangs. It's just the way it is. Um, and, and again, getting that job done with guys that you, know, you normally would think would be the guys to be to be leading the way. And I didn't even mention Kevin Warren. He, five points, five assists. But again, that's a guy that they expect double figures out of. Uh, but, um, you know, James Hunter, just with those five threes and, I mean, he really caused problems. If he's sticking the three ball, that's just going to make life so difficult uh, for the likes of Morrison can't guard him because, I mean, and Mo- I love Morrison. I think he's phenomenal. But he can't guard James Hunter if James Hunter's hitting threes. You know, he wants – Morrison wants Hunter in the post to, to go mano a mano. And if he's pulling him away from the basket, that's just going to open things up uh, for, for Maitland's offense. So they did a tremendous job to go into that environment um, get their revenge. You know, I called that grand final last year. They, they were they were really stinging. Luke Boyle, again, he, he said to me after the Bulls game, he said, yeah, it, it hurt. It really hurt. That We felt like we let that one get away last year and we're going down We're going down there to, to, to get our revenge. He was very open about that. So full credit to them for, for getting the job done. And look, for Canberra, now they, they've had some, obviously John Mappio and that unfortunate car accident. I mean, that's that's obviously hurt them. 
um, this season. They weren't quite the same team they were in 2022. Um, I mean, Morrison was still great. Averaged a double-double for the season. He's an MVP candidate. Uh, you know, Tui, perennial defensive player of the year. Uh, Delphig had a, a, a good season uh, without being great. Uh, and they've got some young guys on the on the come up. Um, Lachlan Smith coming off the bench had a big game. You know, shot the ball very well, 16 points, four boards in just 20 minutes. So, look, they'll be back. I mean, Peter, Peter Harak's a great coach and um, last year's coach of the year, obviously. And they'll, they'll be back and uh, determined. But, yeah, look, again, Maitland, what, what can you say? You know, going to... They've gone into uh, ride and, and taken out the Bulls, and now they take out the defending champs on their home floor in a semifinal. Well done. But, Matt, I really uh, like some of your comments there about Maitland, particularly on defense, and it's uh, weirdly reassuring that you had that conversation with Luke Boyle because there's been past episodes of Scott game where I particularly have reviewed some of the Maitland Mustangs men's games, and I just felt like they were really lacking in some kind of intensity and urgency on the defensive end Um, to the point where I like, I feel like there were games that got way too close where they could have been blowouts for them. And there were games that they should have won, but they were just kind of really too reactive on defense. Interesting that Luke Boyle has recognized that. So that's good. It's not just me uh, being a little bit too critical. And as we can see now, the adjustments that they have made, particularly in this game with such a focus on Morrison, they're now enjoying the fruits of their labor because, like you said, Billy Parsons was matched up on Morrison. The commentators referencing, you know, saying how it's a mismatch, how Billy Parsons is undersized. <laughs> However, Morrison was limited to six rebounds. Yeah. Uh, he had to do a lot of his points from the free throw line, and Morrison only shot seven from 15 from yeah. the free throw line. That hurts. Canberra shot under 50% from the free throw line. That hurts when you lose a game by, what, 13 points. And, and look uh, at the rebound count, 51 to 31. They destroyed massive. them on the boards. Huge. Destroyed them. And now that that's a Canberra team that, that typically will rebound the ball extremely well, mainly thanks to Morrison, who's usually a double-double machine, uh, has been all year. So that, that was such a huge factor in the game. It, it really was. And just their, their attack on the overlast as well was so impressive. Um, they just, you know, they, they were there, they had a purpose and they, they carried it forward and, you know, they're on a mission this year, clearly. Again, I, I just tip my hat to Luke Boyle. I, I just think he's covered himself in glory. Look, I've always thought he's so impressive as a coach, but I think he's gone to another level the last two games. He really has. And I think the other standout for me, uh, also a reflection of how much Maitland has improved their team defence and how much Coach Luke Boyle puts faith in his bench is that in that fourth quarter, it was probably more so the end of the third going into the fourth, the combination that he had on that were being so productive was actually four bench players and Will Cranston-Lown. And so it was uh, Cranston-Lown, Billy Parsons, Jack Edwards, Daniel Milburn, Josh Clifford. So also across the board a little bit smaller with Billy Parsons surprisingly being the tallest person Clifford being productive um, and Jack Edwards. I posted a clip of this steal on the Scott game Instagram because he was literally guarding someone on the wing. This person tried to throw an overhead pass and Jack Edwards literally just jumped up and grabbed it out of the air and went to the races. And I was like, this guy is unbelievable. Well, this is the thing, I, you know, and I mentioned before about how I wasn't impressed with the Canberra commentators sort of dismissing 
Maitland's depth. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. You guys are obviously not watching many Maitland games. Jack Edwards is, if he's not the best backup point guard in the league, he's got to be in the top two or three, clearly. And he's you know, only the backup because yeah. they have Cranston Lowne. And he, if they didn't have Cranston Lowne, he'd be start. starting. Yeah, yeah. He'd, he'd be start. He could start for a few teams. There's no yeah. doubt. Uh, and that's a luxury when you've got that. And you mentioned those those four bench players. And, and again, that, that's down to the, the, the intelligence of Luke Boyle as a head coach because they were, that was a very switchable lineup. I mean, Cranston Lowne can guard one through three. Jack Edwards can guard one through three, even though, you know, he's only six foot, well, maybe six one at a pinch, right? Um, Parsons is a guy that he's athletic enough to guard, you know, fours and fives and maybe the occasional three if there's a switch. So they're, they were very switchable. And again, and they can run so many different alignments with these guys. It, it, again, I, I thought it was, it was a triumph. It was a coaching triumph. It really was, again. Uh, and uh, obviously the players have to execute, but uh, wow. You know, you talk about coaching and it's, it's all about putting your players in the best position to succeed. And Luke Boyle has done that phenomenally well over the past fortnight. Uh, Lockie, would you like to say, add anything about that Gunners-Mustangs game or would you like to roll on to your Sharkies? You know, we're talking about having those four bench players with one starter in and leaving them in. Because when we interviewed Angus Burke earlier in the season, he was talking about how Brian Gorgian yeah. said, if we change this, is it going to help us win? If, it's not gonna, if changing it's not going to make us, you know, have more of a chance of winning, don't do it. And that goes the same way. If we leave this in, is this going to help us win? Yes. Well, let's keep doing it. So there's no, there's no point in taking off, you know, a lineup that's working just because, you know, it's time to do so if it's working. Coaching is as much, you know, you, know, you change things on the fly and it's also about not getting, you know, stuck, too stuck in your ways, too stuck in your rotations. Yeah, and having that obligation of, oh, but this person's a starter, so I have to play them this many minutes or uh, they have to get this many shots. Sorry, but your starters can sit if it means you're going to win the game because that's what the ultimate goal is for everyone, is to win. <laughs> Let's roll on, Lockie. I'm sure you're pretty chomping at the bit to get into this next game where the first-place COE <laughs> played the fifth-place Sutherland Sharks in Canberra. Take it away, Lockie. The Sharkies coming away 89-82 victors over a very, very short-handed centre of excellence team. Matt, you mentioned earlier all the players they had when um, faced them really early in the season. Bradkey, Tui, Zakarski, Henshaw, Alex Condon was even there at that yeah, time. Yeah, Condon, what about him there? Um, Johnny Furphy. Well, on, you know, on Saturday they ran out with Luke Fennell, Kai Savage, Jacob Furphy, James O'Donnell, Bowen Beattie, and just with Emmett Adair and Julius Halifanua on the bench. So just the seven players, whilst the Sharkies were able to roll down with, you know, the same starting five they've trotted out for pretty much the entire season. But full credit to the Centre of Excellence. You know, you run with just their seven players who are in there training, you know, getting their chemistry together six, seven days a week. I would say that was probably a, uh, a large part of why they were able to stay in the game, but at least keep it competitive as they they even came roaring back in the fourth quarter. And, you know, you look at a 33-19 final quarter to make it a seven-point uh, final margin, but it got within it got within three points with a, a minute to play. So that wasn't just some, you know, um, you know, Sutherland taking the foot off the gas in garbage time and, you know, letting COE get back into it. This was a, a fight right down to the bitter end. 
Sharks. We had Lockie Hutchison when he was out with his thumb injury um, on the call with us for a couple of games. And he talked at length about how proud they are to have all their starters averaging in excess of 12 points a game at the time. Yeah. I don't know if it's still the same number. Adrian Cabrera, who played one of his best games of the season last week, only had six points um, in this game. But then Jordan Mitchell went off with 26 points, 11 rebounds, two assists, three steals, shot 60% from the field. Just showcasing that the Sharks, like a lot of the teams that are going this deep, everyone's happy if anyone's scoring. Jordan Mitchell, you know, he we know he can score the ball. Um, you know, Lockie Hutchison finished with 16, Beasley and Gerlach 12 apiece. So once again, they were sharing the ball. But I think the... Uh, Pat Williamson will be happiest about is that Dengak finished five of eight from the field with 14 points coming off the bench because he's yeah. been a bit up and down. Really trying to mesh Beasley, Gerlach, and Gak and get the rotations. Uh, it's a little bit difficult getting it all working, but uh, you know, if Gak's putting up 14 in a game where Gerlach and Beasley are both putting up solid numbers as well, you know, if they might have just hit on something at the perfect time, hopefully. You know, Hutchison just ru runs the point so well. Uh, you know, he keeps a steady head on his shoulders to finish with seven assists and uh, just the two turnovers. We know that he almost red lines it to Zolokhi Hutchison sometimes, and it can sometimes be to his own detriment. But uh, when he's playing well and, you know, you know keeping his head screwed on, he's uh, certainly uh, someone who can lead the team lead the team to big things, and that's what he's done this weekend. They went into the Bear Cave last week and got a massive win. You know, they, well... To start with, they actually came out and played basketball in the first half against North this time, which they didn't do down at the Shark Tank a couple of months ago. But they did that on this occasion, and now they've gone down to Canberra and knocked off COE, admittedly shorthanded, but still a very tough COE team. And if uh, Maitland were looking for revenge against Canberra, Southern will be looking for revenge against Maitland for uh, yep. what happened in the regular season up there at uh, Maitland Federation Centre because Maitland absolutely schooled Sutherland up there this season. Yeah. Not, not to mention what happened, and this is irony of ironies, of course, last year, who played in the semifinals? Maitland and Sutherland. I called that game as well. And Maitland blew them out. So, yeah, there's, there's that as well. So it's kind of Maitland have had their, their motivation. Sutherland's now got their motivation. So it's going to be and fascinating. The uh, interesting thing also about that semifinal last year was that came off Sutherland tailing Maitland. Yes. In the regular season, exactly. just a couple Spirit. of weeks earlier. Interesting teams that have history that you don't expect to always um, mm. have history. No, I love it when you start to form these histories and full circle kind of moments for teams and taking that history and that context into a final series in particular makes it all the more exciting. And But I feel like last year compared to this year, Sutherland and Maitland were placed, ended up being placed lower on the ladder this year than they were last year. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely Maitland were. Um, Sutherland, yeah, Sutherland, I think, yeah. Sutherland just beat the – Sutherland just snuck in because – Yeah, top – yeah. they, they basically – I mean, just said you should remember this because the Bulls had to beat the Crusaders in the very last game by X amount of points and they were like two points or three points short. So I lost by point because it was – then it wasn't a head-to-head -head thing like it is – now, um, it, it was on percentage, right? So they missed out by like 0 0.001 or something, something crazy. They, yeah, well, obviously, obviously Maitland are lower because um, they finished seventh and there were only six teams in finals last year. So Yeah, then that's true too. But yeah. 
I said before the finals, Squin and I both picked, you know, a team you really wouldn't want to face from the bottom four of the finals from fifth to eighth. And Maitland were the one I picked. Oh, yeah. Based on, I I said maybe Sutherland, but I felt Sutherland were like, you know, fifth was kind of a, a good yeah. spot for them. Yeah. But Maitland always, they felt better than a seventh place team if they could turn it on. And that's exactly what they've shown. Yeah, that's what, and that's what scared the hell out of me about. I hated the fact when, see, originally, uh, I, I we were told that it was Sutherland that was going to play the Bulls. Um, and then all of a sudden it was, we looked at the ladder and it, the, it was Maitland. I went, oh no. <laughs> and it, you know, I, like I have the utmost respect for Sutherland as we'll get into in a minute. Um, but uh, Maitland was the one I was probably more scared of because I just think they're that one team that gets undervalued by everybody and they use it as bulletin board material and they're open about it. Like they, they don't like it and they use that as fire and we've seen it and we've seen it now. I've seen it two years running. Yeah, absolutely agree on both points. And uh, Matt, did you have any final points on this COE Sharks game? How did you see it? Yeah, Lockie um, summarised it really well. Look, and it, again, um, when they led by 21 with three to go, I thought, oh, well, this, you know, the, the, the kids, have, it, it's just a, a step too far. And it's just, you know, they're playing seven guys. They're playing against a, a group that uh, has been together and is, you know, and is humming and, you know, Mitchell's doing what he's doing and, Lachlan Hutchison, who um, I am, you know, talk about a fanboy. I'm, I'm a huge fanboy of his, have been for many years. Um, obviously, I've had a lot to do with him through the King, when he was with the Kings. Um, good friends with his dad, Glenn. Um, you know, know the family really well. So, uh, I'm a massive fan. I'm, and I'm friends with a lot of those guys in the, in the Sutherland team, actually, which is which is quite interesting. I've, I've known them, a lot of them for a long time. So, um yeah, I, I'd full credit to COE, you know, for hanging in there. And then Kai Savage goes crazy in the fourth quarter. And you think, oh, my God, they're not actually going to win. And to get it to within three, I think it was like 30 seconds on the clock. Um, and then, obviously, Hutchison hits two huge free throws and they close it out from the free throw line to, to give them that that edge. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought, um, you know, lock, the thing about Lachlan is when he's locked in like that and when he's – he just controls – he's like a conductor. He just controls everything. And, you know, his intelligence, his ball handling, the ability to get to the rack, his decision-making, when he's locked in like that, I think he's the best point guard in the league. And I've said that to I've said that many, many times. And a lot of people sort of look at me, oh, well, how he's, you know, you've got Cranston Land, there's Blake Morrow, there's other guys. I, I just think no one has that combination at this level uh, of intelligence, decision-making, strength, ball handling, can shoot the ball, plays D. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a kid that when he was a development player with the Kings, on a daily basis was going to war with people like Casper Ware and Kevin Lish and holding his own. And here's an interesting factoid. He played 18 games as a development player. I think it was the 2019-2020 season. Uh, that is the most games by a development player in, the his- in one season in the history of the Sydney Kings. And that was him. And when we were, when Will Weaver was the coach, and and um, I'll never forget a press conference. And I I, I use the term garbage time as we all do um, when if a, if it's a blowout and you get the. And Will Weaver was not impressed with me saying that because he came back and said, "We don't believe in garbage time. Every every minute of every game is important. So if I you know if I I put in Lachlan Hutchinson, I'm putting him in because I expect him to contribute." I'm not going to put him in just to put him in. 
So and so you look at it from that perspective. In, I mean, the kid, he played 25 games for the Kings overall over two seasons. Um, I love him to death. He's a great guy, uh, you know, great person, and and just he's he's a baller. And and I, I I'm in, at times I'm in awe of the way he plays because I just I love guys who are smart, who make good decisions, uh, who just control everything, who make people better, and that's what he does. Certainly does. Very, very good words from both of you in regards to that game. And uh, listening to you both speak about those men's games, uh, something that comes up in ahead of this grand final match between Maitland Mustangs and Sutherland Sharks is something that you touched on earlier uh, when we were talking about the Gunners-Mustangs game, Matt, and that's confidence. There's something about the Sutherland men's team when it gets to finals time. They just get something clicks for them. They get this air about them and they just go to work and put their head down and they just gel at the right time. And I think it is actually confidence. Their confidence just grows at finals time. So now you've got the Mustangs who's got this great confidence with their very well-found success at the right time as well. You've got Sutherland also a very high confidence, high bravado type team. What are we going to expect in this grand final next week given that both teams are quite similar. They finished. They both didn't finish in the top four this year at fifth and seventh, um, and both growing in confidence. What what's going to happen, Lockie? I'm going to go to you first. He's just going to say Sutherland's going to win, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> there you go. Firstly, Sutherland just have to keep playing the same game. Cabrera, Mitchell, Hutchison, take it to the rack. You know, get in there, absorb contact, do what they do. Um, Sutherland's three-point shooting hasn't been at its best this season. Um, Angus Lake got off to an absolute cracker of a start. I think he hit four of his first five threes in NBL one, but um, his shooting hasn't been as great as it can be. Callum Norris hasn't had the best season from beyond the arc. We saw a few weeks ago, I think it was against Hills, where for some reason Cabrera and Mitchell started off the game by shooting pull-up jumpers, and that was the game we almost lost to Hills until we pulled it back in the fourth quarter. I think we'll see Gerlach set up in his favourite spot, engage James Hunter on the left block. If that's not working, he can always go out to the high post. Um, He can even shoot a three if he wants to. But I think for Sutherland, we're just going to see them continue to do what they've done for just about every game this season because it's it's working for them at the moment. You know, it's worked for them. in, In every win they've had, their players who take it to the rack have done that with strength, with confidence, with aggression. When they go away from that, that's when it falls apart. You know, if Gerlach gets pushed out beyond where he wants to be, that's that's never a good thing. If Beasley can um, you know, pick off a ball across when they fire it across the top of the arc there and get a huge dunk early, that'll um change momentum. He's just got to actually finish the dunk, please, Markel. Not like when you went for the big windmill a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Sullivan's just do what you do, boys, um, and you put yourself in the best best position. Don't don't overthink it. And for Maitland, if Cranston Lown could win the battle with Hutchison, I think that'll go a long way. Um, you know, if Cranston Lown, MVP candidate, uh, he should have all the confidence in the world that he can uh, win that battle. Um, but Hutch will, Hutch will be coming at him. What about you, Matt? I absolutely love this matchup because when when you look at the numbers from the regular season, these were two of the best offensive teams in the league. Flip side to that, they weren't great defensively, but you got Maitland who were third in scoring, third in field goal percentage, fourth in assists, second in offensive rating. 
And then you got the Sharks, who were fifth in scoring, fourth in field goal percentage, second in fast break points, and sixth in offensive rating, which is still, you know, upper echelon of the league. So if nothing else, it, it promises to be an explosive, high-powered matchup. There, there's two things I kind of look at, or three things. Um, the two matchups that uh, Lockie just mentioned, I think, are crucial. Obviously, Hutchison versus Cranston Lyon, worth the price of admission. Two outstanding point guards. Who, who gets on top in that matchup is going to go a long way. And then if James Hunter can stretch the floor against Jeffrey Gerlach and force Jeffrey out of the post the same way he did with Morrison in the semis, that's going to be huge um, because you know, Sutherland are going to have to find a way to adjust to that. The other thing is, again, you know, hat tip to, to Lockie for bringing it up again, the three-point shooting from Sutherland. You can bet Luke Boyle is going to throw that 1-3-1 zone right out at them and force them to make shots. Jordan Mitchell is like 7% from three on the season, right? They're not a good three-point shooting team. If Callum Norris, Callum Norris could be the X factor. God, I mean, I know it's another one I know very well and, and I've seen for a long time. And he, he's, a, he's a classic zone buster. He's just one of those guys, you, look, you know, you look at Cal, you think, oh, what's he going to do? But man, if, he's, if he hits his first shot, he might hit five in a row. That's how he rolls. Um, and I'm, Lockie knows this, right? So I, I think he's a little bit of an X factor for them because you, know, you kind of look at the lineup and Beasley, not a great three-point shooter. I mean, Mitchell, you know, hasn't done anything from the perimeter all year. Doesn't mean he can't get to the rack. Uh, he's so strong and, and that's what I love about his game. And of course, you know, we know that Hutch can knock down the three ball, but I think that's going to be a huge key. And I think Luke Ball's going to throw a ton of zone. I think he's going to, it's going to be the blueprint that he used against uh, the Bulls because very similar kind of team in one respect, only Sutherland doesn't shoot the ball as well as what the Bulls did. Um, but that zone really messed with their minds. And I think, and there'll be different, I mean, I said that one, three, one, but they, he tends, ball tends to mix it up as well. So you might see some two, three, you might see some box and one occasionally. There's just, just a few, a few different, different things that they'll run um, at them. So it's just such a fascinating matchup. Um, Am I allowed to say who's calling the game? <laughs> we didn't say who's calling the women's game, did we? No, we didn't say who. We didn't say. It'll be, an, it'll be announced by the time this podcast is um, is out. We could probably go ahead if you want to say that. Yeah, we, can, we can bury the lead. Well, congratulations to you for being uh, a caller in the women's final. Um, well deserved, obviously. So um, it's going to be great to great to hear that uh, you're. Uh, your great uh, analysis once again. Thank you. And congratulations to you as well, being picked to commentate the men's final. Uh, you'll be in the hot seat with uh, David Lane from uh, ACT, who has yep. been doing the Gunners and the Nationals games. And myself will be in the hot seat with Caleb. Apologies, Caleb. I don't know your last name, but I know that you are the, <laughs> I know that you are the play-by-play commentator from Maitland. And I'm very excited to call a game with you because I've, Really have enjoyed the way that you've been calling the Maitland Mustangs. Yeah, he's he's done a terrific job this year, no doubt. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, just quickly before we get into some other news and gossip and other things, with these matchups, Matt, you mentioned Maitland are likely to throw that 1-3-1. First of all, love that they're throwing a 1-3-1. I think that especially in the last, say, 5, 10 years that I've watched basketball, sometimes men's teams – typically don't like to go into any kind of other zone outside of a 2-3 if they get desperate. 
Yeah. Uh, so I love that a men's team is throwing in a one-three-one because I feel like sometimes typically it's more women's teams throwing in these different types of half-court uh, defenses. But in terms of matchups, I'm just kind of looking up outside the one-three-one when Maitland are purely playing man-to-man. The matchups between I can't really pick the matchups other than Hutchinson and Cranston Lown, which is going to be epic. But we know that's going to be put to the side. We know that that's going to be very competitive and both of their shooting and scoring opportunities and maybe even facilitating opportunities are going to be really limited. But who's going to mark Markel Beasley? I mean, Gerlach and Hunter is a no-brainer, but who from Sutherland's going to mark Gray? Uh, I can't really see Gray and Beasley guarding each other because they're so different but also play similar roles. But in terms of skill set, size, athleticism, quite different. Billy Parsons, is he going to be tasked with Markel Beasley? Yeah, I don't know. That one's going to be hard to pick, I think. But well, that's uh, you, Lockie. I mean, it, it, it's you're you're right. Uh, look, Gray Gray's an interesting one because you know he doesn't. He's got that different body type. It's really long and athletic, and you know he he got that perfect what ended up being a perfect matchup against Alexander Higgins' teachers. Very similar body type, and he he just took him apart. Um, you know, in in so many ways, and. Whereas Beasley's a completely different beast in in that regard, you know, explosive, got the big shoulders, he's strong, he's quicker. Um, but I think it's probably I, I can see them guarding one another, but then definitely Parsons will probably take him. Parsons has got the mobility to go with him, but then you know I, Beasley's going to be a tough cover for Maitland if they go man. If they go, I don't think you can single cover him. I think in this matchup, just purely from an athletic standpoint. I think they've got to sort of think about, you know, maybe blitzing him, getting him, uh, getting the ball out of his hands. That's what I do anyway. Come down to Beasley v Gray out of necessity, but I don't think it's a a matchup that they particularly like. As you mentioned, just get yeah, if they can get the ball out of his hands, you know, if they can you know, throw a double at him or something. Mm. It, it's uh, and the zone again, yeah. you know, that's the other thing. You know, force. I just I just have this feeling that you know Luke Boyle is going to say, okay. Guys, have at it. We're, we're going to make you prove it to us from the perimeter. Yeah, you haven't really done it most of the year. You haven't. You, we know you've got guys that can knock the thing down, but yeah, you know, we're going to prove it to you. We want you to prove it to us, rather. And that's that's I think going to be the the mindset. You talk about Hutch to knock down the three. One thing that we talked about on calls last season after Callum went down with his with his ankle uh, was don't remind me. I saw it happen. Sorry. Um, <laughs> If you need Hutch to score your threes, well, he's already got a fairly significant job as primary ball handler. So yeah, his shots, yeah. his shots are so you know, his quantity of shooting is just reduced so much. If you yeah. need him to be the the primary three point shooter, yeah, no, it's a great point. Look, that, that's what fascinates me about this matchup. There's all the these little. You know, twists and turns and you know, little storylines that, that are happening, all these different adjustments. And it, it is the classic chess match between, you know, a really young coach in Pat Williamson who's done a terrific job this year. And a guy in Luke Boyle has been around for a while. Um, and I think is finally starting to get his due. Very good indeed. All right. So do either of you have any news or gossip? <laughs> From the league heading into this season that we can share. I've told you some quietly, which we know we can't talk about. <laughs> uh, I, I've got two pieces. I've got two pieces of news. 
Isaac Ayubi committed to West Texas A&M University, yes. which is one of the Morgan boys is going there as well. I can't remember which one. Is Noah Pagotto going there as well? Noah Pagotto's going there as well. There. And it's also where Hayden Blankley played before yep. he went to uh, Asia and now for Bankstown. Secondly, seeing as we're talking about Maitland, we've talked about his exploits on the pitch before, but Jack Edwards won New South Wales Touch Football Player of the Year. <laughs> no way. That's amazing. I mean, he's probably one of the most athletic people yeah. I've ever seen, without exaggeration. I remember seeing him when he played Youth League and I was floored. Yeah, so he uh, made his Australian debut earlier in the year, as we know, scored the winning try in the Trans-Tasma series in, in extra time and now winning New South Wales Player of the Year. So keep hold of him, Mustangs, because... Uh, Touch footy is looking like a uh, very good sport for, for Jack. But yes, Matt, we'll probably just keep stick to news and gossip that we can say on air. <laughs> I am aware that this is has already been a monster but very good episode so far, but usually we finish our episodes with an all-star five and since we haven't done any for the final series and in the meantime, the MBL one have released the MBL one East Award nominations, I thought we could quickly chat about that. So first of all, Nominations are out. They're up on social media pages. Uh, first thing that comes to mind for either of you, Matt, I'll go to you first. Any omissions that you noticed from any of these awards? Well, a whole bunch from the men MVP. And, and I, I think Dave O'Hickey was an obvious one um, for me off the bat. You know, you, that, that's one. Chris Bryant, um, Benny Henschel's another one. AJ Lawton from the Crusaders, although he came in a bit late, obviously, and, and Lockie Hutchinson again, um, although I'm you know, a little bit biased when it comes to him. But still, the biggest one, and I, I, I referenced it earlier, the irony of ironies. The two guys that weren't even nominated for Coach of the Year are the two guys leading their teams into the championship game, Luke Boyle and Pat Williamson. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, I know it's a regular season award and um, and all of that, uh, and but... Uh, I mean, look, Maitland won 10. Before they lost their, their last two, they'd won 10 straight and, and really, you know, stepped up in a major way when a lot of people, uh, probably myself included to a degree, had, had stupidly written them off, So, which you can never do. You know, and, and they've proven that, obviously, over the last two years at least. I think you've just about nailed it. And, you know, in those omissions for the men's MVP, you pretty much just rattled off an all NBL one a second team. Yeah, exactly. I thought of that. <laughs> I'm sort of thinking, well, I'm looking at this. And you could look, you could say the same for the girls. And, and again, it speaks to the talent level and how it's improved, you know, almost exponentially from the first year of NBL one East to now, uh, which is so exciting. And look, I get that a lot of that has to do with, the, the introduction of the COE. You know, some of the, the, the talent that was brought in this season was extraordinary. So, uh, yeah, both on both sides, men and women. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's really exciting. And, you know, you, you talk about a second team. No, I think there should be an All-NBL 1A second team. I really do. I, I, I just think there's too much talent. I was going to ask as well, uh, as part of the run sheet for tonight, do you both feel like there's room for a first and a second team. And you've both successfully answered that. And just and to remind- a six man of the year as well on both sides. Mm. Yeah. How's there not a six man of the year? I mean, purely selfishly, I would say it's Tony Tolliver <laughs> for, for the Bulls. Look at some of the, the Norths and Manly uh, and, and Bankstown as well. And I mean, they did such a great job off the bench. 
I think I think you can expand it. I think they've got to start looking at that. What I would actually personally like to see with things like the awards that have been announced for NBL One East, but even as far back as how the final series have been run, I would like it to be standardised across all NBL One leagues. Correct. Like all of the awards that are offered in the same leagues, for example, WA has Commentator of the Year. Would love to see that in all conferences. Oh, it's not Cynthia Gavin, isn't it? No, it's actually, I'm pretty sure it's either Matt McQuaid or Lucky Brand. <laughs> it's, it's not Lucky Brand. <laughs> but I think just as a point of us as commentators to try and find out then who are the other commentators out there that we can listen to, that we can A, enjoy and B, perhaps learn from. And because yeah. also commentators are also a big part of what make NBL one, apart from the players and the coaches, sure. But uh, in terms of making other pathways for people in basketball, if we have an award for commentating and put commentating uh, and things like that to the front, then people are going to be like, this is actually a serious uh, thing that I can consider. Yeah, 100%. And, and the other, just sort of, you know, expanding upon that, I just think media awards in general. Mm. I mean, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, uh, complimentary to you guys because what you've done in promoting and, and I look, it's not just me saying this. I mean, I'm hearing this from a lot of people. There are so many people that listen in. And, and I just want to, you know, while I've got the opportunity to congratulate the pair of you for doing what you do every week. Um, Jacinta knows I've been driving her nuts saying, where's the next podcast? When are you going to put it up? So <laughs> she lost patience with me the other day. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll back off. Uh, but that, but what that says, Jacinta, I mean, that that is basically, it's a compliment because it's saying, hey, you guys are worth listening to, not just worth listening to, it's must listen, you know, and the particularly the interviews you did throughout the year were amazing. They really were. You know, you clearly do your research. You clearly love the game. The passion comes through. So I, I think from an awards perspective, I mean, look, the podcast would be an absolute walk, absolute um, lay down the Z to win an award. But I think just generally maybe, you know, encourage writing, you know, maybe, you know, a, a blog or, you know, um, a local newspaper, a, you know, Start doing that, you know, and because um, we're trying to really build this thing, right? And you know, through the media, yeah, and and yeah, acknowledging some of the the great commentary that, that's been done um, throughout the NBA one, and yeah, and getting back to your original point, standardising the awards, hundred percent. I think that has to happen. Thank you so much for the very lovely feedback, Matt, and we're really glad that people are enjoying it and have that urgency to listen to it because I'm pretty sure I can confidently speak on behalf of Lockie as well when we didn't really think know that anyone would be interested or listen to it in the first place uh so the fact that people are listening so closely is really really cool I also feel like standardizing the awards standardizing the final series media coverage especially because I feel like that people are going to read only read what's out there Lockie, in terms of a first and a second team and in terms of these awards that are finalists that have been announced, what's your takeaway from all of it? My main one I saw was Michaela Pivik getting an MVP nomination in the women's competition. Now, that goes one of two ways. Full disclosure, I'm the biggest Michaela Pivik fan out there. Everyone knows that. Um, <laughs> she had an absolutely incredible season, but it was only half a season. I know that like finals eligibility is one third of the season plus a game. So like eight games, but I don't know if MVP consideration should be maybe 
yeah. a little bit more extended. That was a surprise. I, I agree with you on that. That 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 was a surprise. I mean, look again, a little bit of bias, and and you, and then it comes back to um, how many games they won. But how Michaela Domkins didn't get nominated, or how Leilani Mitchell didn't go, is ridiculous. Michaela Domkins was amazing, uh, absolutely amazing. She was a warrior, and the numbers she was putting up were ridiculous. I mean, she had that thirty-six point twenty-nine rebound game. She had, you know, a, a bunch of 20 rebound games. She was a warrior. And then Leilani was just doing Leilani things. Now, the, the counter argument is, well, they only won five games. I get that. And four of those, you know, and the fifth game, they weren't even their fifth win rather against Penrith. They weren't even there. By the same token, what they brought to this competition, and we've seen this before. I mean, in, in other leagues where, um, you know, guys that are putting great, guys or girls that are putting great stats, even though their teams haven't been that successful have still been rated very highly from an MVP perspective. So, and, and yeah, people may say, look, you're biased or whatever. And yeah, fine. You know, I, I got, I saw every game of theirs, um, a ton of road games and, and obviously every home game. So I'm in a better position to comment the most. I just thought what they brought, not just to the Bulls, but just to the league in general should have been acknowledged. And, and the fact that it wasn't was disappointing for me. Yeah, especially Michaela not getting recognised as Defensive Player of the Year considering yeah. she was the top rebounder for the whole season consistently. Yeah. I think she ended the season as top rebounder and I think she averaged like 15 rebounds or something a game, yeah, which is just incredible. outrageous. And uh, particularly what's exciting, speaking of youth, was the Youth Player of the Year announcements for both men and women, especially looking at that women, uh, the women's nominations. I mean, that could be... A very close to a perfect starting five on any given day with Ash Hannon, Jada Clark, Fliss Henderson, Carla Pittman, Jada Crawshaw, very well deserving. Uh, and with the men, it was great to see some of the East Scott game favourites in there with Noah Picotto, uh. Dahl Fig, Billy Parsons, and then Maddie Waitcher and Alex Tui for good measure. So mm. uh, <laughs> very good to see. The only other question I will ask you guys in relation to NBL1 as a whole how do you feel about the idea of MBL One East also hosting an awards night? Because oh, from what I'm seeing on social media, particularly from MBL One North, like I, I want to book a gig up there next season. They have the awards night. They had a press conference for yep. their final series. They have a three-game final series. you got the likes of John and some of the other younger uh, broadcasters and commentators coming up in the league doing after-game stuff. It's a whole nother level up there. But aside, awards night, what do you think? 100%. Yeah. Um, if the other conferences are doing it, whether you agree with it or not, if, just for the optics, if the other conferences are doing it and you want to showcase yourself as the, being at the same level, you've got to do yep. these kind of things. Yeah. And look, to be fair, it, it is only the second season. I, I, you know, in some ways it's going to be a slow build, but look, it has to happen. You have it in a central location somewhere. You know, not always going to be possible for everybody to come. Obviously, Canberra can be, you know, Newcastle a little bit problematic, but um, still, you know, you can get as many as you can. I, I think, I, look, always love a good awards night. If you do it right, it's another way to promote the league and really push the league to the heights that we want to see it attain. People might say it's just an awards night. No, it's not, because it just shows that little, an extra level of professionalism and care about your competition. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. And I was going to say the same thing. It's showing that level of professionalism because this is now technically the semi-professional league and the pathway to MBL and WNBL. Mm. And I think on uh, multiple layers, it has the opportunity to show that level of professionalism like an awards ceremony, like media awards, etc. So, but very good point, Matt. It is only in its second year and the only way is up. So hopefully we'll watch this space and we'll be able to have the front row seat of seeing all these positive changes in the league. Um, but otherwise, guys, we have had a massive chat on a Sunday night, so I really appreciate you jumping on. I think that will wrap up the episode. We'll see you, Matt, at the grand final next week at Sydney University where you're going to be calling the men's game at 5 p.m. And Lockie, you'll be with us in spirit because you'll oh, no, be... No, 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 I will be coming to the games before I go to the World Cup. Don't worry. <laughs> it's going to be a quick trip from Sydney Uni out to Stadium Australia, but I will be there. Lockie, I'm really glad that you'll still be there, even if you won't be on duty in the commentary box Sharks with one of us. Final. Come on, he's got to be there. <laughs> he has to be there. I, yeah. My heart rate can hit 153 again like it did last year in the women's semi. We'll have a medic on standby and uh, maybe maybe I won't bring you a double espresso, dare ice coffee. <laughs> I don't want to enable any uh, medical issues there, mate. So, But gentlemen, thank you both for joining us for this very special episode, semi-final review, grand final preview. Very excited for MBL One East to reach its peak with this awesome grand final matchup in both the men and women. It can literally be anyone's game in each of them. And I look forward to seeing you both there and enjoying it. Oh, look, thank you. Both of you uh, for having me. It was uh, an absolute treat. Always love talking hoops and, and about this uh, league that um, I'm very passionate about, uh, as well as the NBL. Um, and uh, yeah, again, thanks for the, the tremendous work you've done throughout the season. It, it is appreciated not just by me, I, I can guarantee you this, by a great deal of people. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of East Got Games. Remember to share with your friends and subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. But most of all, don't sleep on the East.